We're here. Hey, hey, hey. Good afternoon, everybody. Good to Happy be with Wednesday. you, gentlemen, as always. Hello, hello. We are live. Jordan, enjoying the weather while we can, like you were saying, right? So that's always good. May weather in Colorado will change on you like a dime. <laughs> oh, yeah? Hopefully you didn't put it all in the closet. <laughs> Not yet. Nice. Awesome. You guys getting snow today or something? This weekend. Sunny today no and then snow this weekend. Oh, man. Love it. Good stuff. Quite temperamental. <laughs> All right. Uh, I think we've got a couple of things we wanted to uh, kind of cover today. Some interesting articles, some always uh, fun discussions, some fun topics. Uh, I don't know, Brian, you want to kind of kick us off this week and uh, what do you have for us? Yeah. So the topic I wanted to, to chat about today was about the SEC uh, basically doubling the size of their enforcement of the crypto assets and cyber unit. So, I mean, obviously, if you add 20 people and you double your unit, um, it wasn't a lot of people to start with. But to me, the biggest thing here is that, like, crypto is, like, for real now. When the SEC and the government gets involved and they hire people, exactly. It's really becoming an official um, uh, type of unit and, and group and enforcement. So they got 50 total dedicated positions uh, between lawyers and investigators and uh, and different types of, of ranks, if you will, that will uh, build this up. So I do think it's very interesting with this whole DeFi of the decentralization finance platforms, essentially. And then the NFTs um, really taking off. Um, it'll be, be interesting to see how they start to enforce uh, different rules and regulations with all of this. I mean, obviously having crypto assets in the cybersecurity space is is primarily how uh, ransoms and, and whatnot are paid today. And a lot of business email compromise and all that stuff translates through that from the mules that go and do those wire transfer frauds. And it ends up in, in some type of cryptocurrency. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And then all the restrictions to nation states that you're not supposed to be paying to. I know a lot of people hire third-party firms to transact the Bitcoin, so it can't get traced back necessarily to that corporation. Um, so it'll be interesting, you know, long-term, I think, to see all that play out. But the biggest piece of this to me is, like, it's it's really, it's not going away. The SEC and the government's going to go invest this much in it just because we see these these big dips i mean the whole market overhaul overall had dips but we're seeing some very radical dips in the cryptocurrency world and even some stable coin in the last couple of days is not necessarily stable. as stable right. <laughs> as you like to say about that so yeah i just think yeah, it's I heard, uh, uh, sorry i heard uh, bitcoin referred to recently as a stable coin in context of these ones that are even more volatile right now. It is an interesting place that we're in right now. I mean, it's not just crypto. Everybody expects crypto to be down 75% at some point. But when PayPal is also down a significant margin and other other uh, right. large-cap tech companies are also down, we know that there's other things going on. Yeah, that's a yep. good point. So actually, Brian, does this mean they're going to start paying all these employees in crypto now from the government? <laughs> Unlikely. I know, right? Well, I mean, the government is looking into creating possibly their own cryptocurrency 
right? There was a, yeah. a order passed, executive order that was directed to start evaluating this. And so if the government's going to start looking into it, it may become a more and more serious thing. I mean, I'm shocked banks aren't lining up to try to fight this or maybe start even creating their own that they can have some control over. Yeah. It's going to be also interesting too, because like, like this technology changes like daily, right? I mean, pretty much. Right. So it's going to be really interesting for this group of people and these new employees, if you will, that are sanctioned with this to like really be up to date understanding and kind of seeing where the, where the tech is going. Um, You know, not just from like a, a technical standpoint, but also from a security standpoint too. And I think we all know there's a lot of, uh, targeted around, like you say, you know, cryptoware and, you know, going after wallets and, and exchanges and things like that. So um, hopefully it's not just from like a, you know, taxation standpoint and regulation, but really we're putting emphasis around like the security of crypto and things like that. Cause it's, it's, it's huge. Right. I hope so. Yeah, because I'm... a big problem is the SIM swimming, right. Where they steal the SIM card and, you know, Coinbase and Crypto.com, all these digital wallets have been victims of this, where yeah. people get their stuff stolen. I mean, there's stories where they go break into the uh, T-Mobile store, they steal the they iPad go. that has the manager's permission to flip the, the SIM cards, and they have like five minutes to do this. And so they have to go very quick to get into these accounts to be able to, to switch it, get the two-factor code. So if we can start shifting away from some of those and have apps installed on them, uh, you know, for your, your two-factor instead of using texting and things like that to improve the security, I'm all for it. But, I mean, this looks like it's more on the investigation side today. Yeah, yeah basically so Sammy, it's validating sorry, that uh, regulation and investigation is a, is a real industry now, which also validates that the thing that they're investigating and regulating is a valid industry or a real industry. Right. Exactly. Officially official. Yeah. Congrats. I think it's it's hard to, 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 to deny the fundamental protocol. I think what we're going to continue to see a change in the landscape are the different bodies that kind of custody these things and uh, the different exchanges and how they have to comply with all of the different standards, including, you know, the reporting of, of uh, transactions and, um, you know, large movement of large amounts of, of crypto from account to account. So I think... Uh, yeah, it's it's as, as the we get more comfortable with what the protocol is, and we start to implement it into various technologies. We'll start to get more clear regulation, and then I'm also curious to see which coins kind of uh, kind of stick around. Right, are ones that have an ability to be tracked uh, more likely to stick around as they can uh, regulate it more easily, as opposed to things like say Monero, which are a lot more difficult to track. Right, I'm I'm very curious to see. Uh, what, what, what are the winners coming into the next four years, and um, you know what kind of integrations we'll see at the federal level? So very, very interesting. And yeah, then, by the way, good. to your point, Ryan, maybe uh, maybe this will be a, uh, a a a good use case for implementing uh, FIDO passwordless uh, security standards. So um, yeah, that we talked about right. So that would be great to see some change with all of that. All those nice things we spoke about the last time, right? So yeah, I mean, like you said, it all it all ties back to you know security in some form or fashion. So it'll be a it'll be a good one. So okay. How about you, Sammy? What do you got for us this week? Yeah, yeah, no. Um, I guess following up on the EDR crisis that we were kind of talking about recently, uh, the DEA has reported that they're investigating reports that 
Uh, some more hackers have gained unauthorized access to uh, an agency portal that actually taps into 16 different federal law enforcement databases. Um, that is the, the EPIC system portal, um, which uh, we'll, we'll jump on that in a second, but it's um, basically Krebs on security. The, the journalist or, or Brian Krebs, the journalist had uh, received a tip from a member of KT, which is a really toxic uh, online doxing blog uh, or forum, excuse me. Um, that they, you know, a certain set of uh, uh, of hackers. I, I believe this time it was, I think it was from Lapsus, uh, were able mm-hmm. to uh, to um, gain access to these systems and then therefore uh, issue a, a, a bunch of different uh, things. So what Epic does is uh, enables users to remotely and securely share intelligence, uh, access national seizure systems, conduct data analytics, and uh, obtain information in support of you know different criminal investigations or law enforcement operations. Um, and so with access to that, as you, you can, you can only imagine, uh, what kind of records they're able to look into. So things including, you know, um, ownership of motor vehicles, boats, firearms, drones, um, aircrafts, um, and then also ongoing criminal, criminal investigations. So, um, you can imagine that with this kind of information, the amount of, uh, uh, social engineering, uh, you can probably pull, you know, pull off against somebody or um, and, and if you're trying to find information about your enemies, this would be a, a good way to do so. Um, also a good way to ev- evade any kind of law enforcement that's uh, coming after you. So, um, and you know, the, the crazy thing about this is this portal is is publicly available to the internet. Um, so you can actually access it at uh, esp.usdoj.gov. Um, and what you will find is there are two methods of authenticating. One uses a PIV card, but then the other is just basic password authentication. Um, and you're not forced to use the, the PIV method. So um, essentially, anybody that has purchased credentials from an online uh, breach uh, could leverage those to gain access to the system uh, and then start to access the data that we were talking about. Also, not just uh, to mention, but that not only can they view sensitive information, but they can also submit false records uh, into this mm-hmm. database. So thus, uh, a little bit of psyop there and uh, yeah, a little, a little, some distraction and diversion. So this is, as you can imagine, if, if teenagers are, are doing this now, um, what what a nation state with this kind of access would be able to do. So I think this definitely calls for some uh, some review of authentication requirements. <laughs> for, for this so I can log like in. Scary. <laughs> I can log in with stolen credentials, see all this data that they have on me and what they're tracking, and then go submit false data to put them on a different trail. That's absolutely that just right. blows my mind. With some, some basic credentials, yeah. Probably not even NSA the episode enabled. of Law and Order. <laughs> yeah. What's that? What's that? If we can get that episode of Law and Order, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of almost like one of those things, like you see, like in movies, right, where they're like talking to like their quote unquote, you know, hacker person, and they're stealing a car, and it's like, oh, hack into like to the DMV mainframe and change the right. license plate number. Like this is kind of what, what it reminds me of. Like I don't know, it's just it's just kind of funny, like how sometimes. I don't want to say easy, but, you know, just like, really, you know, kind of makes you question a few things sometimes. So, uh, Tri- yeah. trivial. Yeah. I think trivial is the word here. It's like, wow, this, you it, for this kind of access, you, you know, all it took was purchasing a set of credentials online from 
you know, this is probably take place in under an hour. everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, and so uh, I think to that point, uh, I had so, yeah. So um, <clears throat> claims that the DA was accessed was uh, shared by the author uh, KT, who is the current administrator of Doxpin, uh, which is the the doxing community that I was uh, mentioning about. Right. It's super to- toxic and whatnot. That person is also the uh, was reported as the as the leader of Lapsus, which is a data extortion group. For those who don't know, I remember that. Um, yeah. Right. So, um, yeah, you, you, you can imagine that uh, the level of access that they're, they're able to require, acquire with this. Uh, yeah, I, I lost my tangent there, but it's a, that's kind of an interesting thing, thing to note here um, that, that 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 group was uh, behind the uh, potentially behind the breach and actually had reported that to Krebs himself. So there's no uh, what's it called discretion here. They're, they're loud and proud about their their uh, their breach. It's kind of what we talked One about, the, right, is, is for groups like that, it's sometimes less about getting in and more about the, hey, because I can and like, look at me type of a thing. So that kind of celebrity notoriety thing. So it makes it highly dangerous, too, in some regards, right? Yeah. And, and, and things term- like, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just thinking broader than this, that the one, one of the crucial issues that this brings to mind is the more that we uh, enable access and storage of information, uh, the more that we are enabling malicious use of that information also. So when we collect information, if we are storing information, if we are developing systems in order to access those databases, uh, first party, third party, et cetera, we have to be very considerate about what the ramifications of unauthorized access are here. And the more that we are putting information systems together here, the more that we will see this because generally the priority is getting access putting it together, getting people connected to it, and then security authorization and things like that come secondary and tertiary. So always something to consider. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's where, you know, we need to start to be able to identify these systems and then place stringent controls and, and, and enforce strict standards around them. Um, it doesn't make sense to have something that sensitive publicly available to just about anybody. This is where the whole conversation on, uh, online identity and, and, uh, uh, you know, uh, online uh, validation of uh, a proof of identity comes in and how we need to pretty much have enforce these systems by default on any kind of, uh, uh, da- you know, any databases that have this kind of access. Um, I think right now the fact that, you know, there's no, no multi-factor authentication was, was required and, and anybody can access the system just leaves a, uh, a huge, uh, uh, just leaves huge risk to that system. So, you know, whitelisting and, and, and more stringent controls here, I think, are the name of the game. Uh, you know, we're, we get, we put a lot of pressure on private, but, um, you know, I think, like I said, if a nation state gets access to this, you can only imagine what they could do with it and how they could cover their own tracks. So, uh, yeah. yeah. So, so no one said our, our favorite keyword so far, zero trust. Right. Doesn't that come into play yeah. here on this whole thing? Like, it's just like you said, yeah, it's just sitting there, well, sitting there wide open. I shouldn't open, even like... be able to go launch this website. Like, That's exactly. No. Why, I just yeah. went to this URL, right? I'm at the office, so I don't mind doing it from here, right? The van but shows up. I'm, we know what happened. I don't need the black van at my house. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, there's different. a warning system at the bottom, and all it says it it tells you it's sensitive data processing only. And that you're subject to criminal penalties if you use this website. What is that? That doesn't stop an attacker. Right. The challenge. 
Yeah, it reminds me of the good old days when you get a banner that says authorized access only. Click enter okay. to continue. Right. Yeah. Cool. Next. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I mean, and who knows if they're even preventing, uh, <clears throat> you know, if they're rate limiting, if an attacker just coming here with blind force credentials. You know Sounds I mean? like a good so, job for like a a uh, future honeypot right there. Right. Well, that kind of leads into uh, my news piece here, if you want to switch yeah. topics. Um, one of the things I was reviewing this morning was some guidance from CISA, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency here in the US, um, along with our partners overseas, generally called Five Eyes. That would also include the UK, Australia, New Zealand, and Canada. They issued new guidance uh, this week for the top 10 most exploited attack vectors. And right up there at the top, Sammy, is lack of multi-factor authentication. So going back to what you all just were discussing there, um, some of the other ones that I want to highlight, which a lot of this is in line with a lot of the standards and guidance that we've been recognizing over many years, uh, outdated and unpatched software, um, inappropriately applied privileges, or basically just no permissions or bad permissions, uh, default configurations from this is how it came from the vendor. This is how we deployed it. Um, lack of strong password policies. If you allow me to set the password password or any other eight letter dictionary word, that's probably not a strong policy. Um, open ports, misconfigured services, especially when internet facing. Lack of uh, phishing detection and mitigation and then poor endpoint detection and response. And they do offer some mitigation suggestions here, but these are pretty broad. They're things like use of access controls, credential hardening, centralized log management, employment of antivirus and detection tools, initiating and maintaining config and patch management programs. They don't tell you how to do those things. These are really good guidelines, but these are very tough areas for a lot of organizations, especially any organization that doesn't have strong established security culture uh, which are going to be the ones that these are going to be most applying to, to kind of implement this. So I think that one of the things that comes to mind is how, how important it is to develop a security culture. And from what I've learned, it's really only effective if it's coming from the top down. And that doesn't just mean the chief executives. That means even higher than them. That means the owners, the board of directors, mm -hmm. uh, if they care about it, then that kind of culture will get passed down. So I'd like to encourage that. Another thing that was mentioned there was, uh, you know, the password issue and an authentication issue. So that also goes in line with uh, the, the identity and uh, FIDO passwordless kind of systems that we were discussing last week also. Yeah, what's interesting to me about what you mentioned is you didn't mention zero days. And, and right. I, I feel like for some reason, so many organizations get caught up on this, like what it, the unknown, or it's like more often than not, it's the simple controls that just aren't being done that are the issue. Right. The first one, you said MFA. It's like most systems in 2022, uh, unless it's like some custom homegrown app, offer 2FA. So the issue to me there is that it's not getting enabled, not right. that it's not available. Uh, yeah. So that tells me that it's, it's, it's a, a resource issue or uh, a labor issue that more most organizations are experiencing as to why these controls aren't getting implemented. A prioritization. That's part of the reason. Right. The prioritization. prioritization. If, if, you're, if you're thinking about your attack vectors and you're going, yeah, but a, an attack helicopter could appear over our facility at any moment. Like, yeah, but do you have a security guard at the door? Right. Are you right. actually checking badges? 
<laughs> like there, there are other things that we can implement uh, that are much more realistic, that are actively being exploited, that we have the data uh, that's implementing these changes does improve your security uh, hygiene, your security culture, and the overall uh, effectiveness of your security program there. Yeah, I think one way to look at it, you know, the same kind of what you're saying is like, if you kind of plan, you know, Jordan, like if you say, look, if we're going to take our company and plan to do all these basics, because, you know, they really are foundation fundamentals, you're going to cover a way greater, you know, greater breadth of, of attack vector and being safe than focusing on just, you know, quote unquote, zero days and things like that, right? Like you can be so much more secure and things like that. And I think a lot of these companies, because we do a lot of consulting with them too, and um, the good news, you know, Jordan is, you know, we, we are seeing a, a big uptick in like the actual owners, founders and boards asking way more now about cybersecurity, right? I think a lot of that's been driven because uh, insurance premiums are going up, you know, ransomware payouts are going up. It's top of mind. It's all over the news. So people are taking it, you know, more seriously, but we still have the problem of like doing the basics, I think. And sometimes it comes back to this, you know, we, we discussed before, like if you have a lot of technical debt, your company's been kind of been around for a long time and you have, you know, system upon system upon system, it's hard to go back and just like rip those things apart and rebuild them as opposed to maybe a more modern nimble company is kind of hopefully developing, you know, security mindset first. So. Yeah. Well, it's and like, it's not which to one... say... oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just going to, I was thinking about what Sammy had said earlier about how this doesn't mention zero days. That doesn't mean that zero days are not a risk. Um, and, while a zero day does present an unknown risk, um, what we can consider are the known risks. And there was a, a list published also by CISA and Five Eyes last week of uh, some of the most exploited vulnerabilities in the past year. And those were things like log for shell, proxy logon, uh, Atlassian uh, vulnerability, VMware vulnerability, uh, Zoho vulnerability. So these are known vulnerabilities that are actively being exploited. At one point they were a zero day, but now they're known. And once they're known, that actually is when they become much more risky right. because now, now that proof of concept, uh, the exploitation can be shared around. And if these systems are accessible on the internet, they can be exploited en masse. Uh, so that doesn't mean that we shouldn't look at the technical, uh, most of this falls under within the, uh, the misconfiguration or the outdated software too. Exactly. Yep. By far. And there's a order of operations with all that old software. I mean, you go and try to upgrade the SQL server. Oh, the application breaks. Then you call yeah. the vendor and, oh, I don't have support. So now I got to go buy support to download the latest version. And then, oh my goodness, I have the wrong version of Windows and it's not supported on the version of ESXi I have. So you see how it spirals out of yep. control oftentimes. But if you shift that and say, go to SaaS, oh, we're just going to solve that problem and go to SaaS and not have to deal with this. Think about Office 365, not to pick on them, but if you go spin up a new tenant today, you get a whole different set of security parameters pushed down on your tenant immediately versus if you were a customer from five years ago, they don't force all that stuff back on you. They'll give you some warnings and updates. Oh, we're going to turn off XYZ from time to time and give you an option to opt out um, some of the time, but it's never the same amount of security. So don't live with that false sense that you think you're safe and secure. Keep an eye up to date on those things, check your security scores and different things that are coming out that you may need to go apply manually in your SaaS environments to keep them safe and secure. 
Yeah, SaaS is a, a shared security model, right? Mm -hmm. it, it requires that all parties involved uh, act in the best interest of maintaining that security. There have been a lot of uh, vulnerabilities identified in Azure, in uh, the uh, Amazon Web Services, and those will continue to be found. Hopefully, they're, they're also patched very regularly too. But to your point, uh, you can't just assume that, well, we have it in the cloud, so it's their responsibility. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely doesn't work that way. And people have that perception like, oh, somebody else's problem. Like, well, part of it's their problem, but still you own the data and you are responsible for, let's say, configuration and certain, you know, IaaS and things like that. But yeah, it's not just this like magical, oh, somebody else has it, they take care of it. No, I mean, but a lot of times people don't realize that something bad happens and they're like, well, how come so-and-so didn't back up my data? It's like, well, it's still on you to back it up at the end of the day, right? So. Love, uh, if you're still. If, if you're renting a space or you're staying at a hotel, it's still your responsibility to lock the door. You know, <laughs> that's, that's a good analogy. You know, okay. it's it, if you're it, they provide the, the facility and make sure the facility in and of itself is secure. You don't that's not under your responsibility. But the door is a control that they give you the administrative access to. And, and you have to administer it. You have to lock it. So I think, you know, people often think just because they're renting the house, they don't have to deal with any of the controls inside it. Um, just because you're share, renting a space in AWS or in the cloud doesn't mean uh, there are not controls that go along with it. So I think that's a, you know, an easy way to view it. Exactly. So, guys, I got an interesting question for you. Um, what do you think pays better, cybercrime or being a doctor? Yeah. <laughs> Cybercrime. Oh, yeah. Cybercrime. <laughs> well, ideally, if you can do both. Yeah. Well, you don't have all that debt from going to school. So, exactly. cybercrime. Yeah. Exactly. So, there's an interesting article yeah. I ran across today that kind of caught my eye. Um, the FBI recently announced charges against um, a, a cardiologist. Um, so, doctor by day, um, cardiologist by day, and moonlighting as a Cyber criminal mastermind, as they call it in the article, at night or even in the daytime too. So who knows, right? Um, developing and designing and essentially reselling ransomware. Um, bragged about it on various forums. It became pretty well known. Uh, the name was interesting. Uh, the tool is called Thanos, uh, which is interesting because I think you know, I think Jordan, you pointed this out too. There's another kind of much older piece of uh, of ransomware. Uh, titled Thanos. So I don't know if this is the same one or, or how this works out. It's not too clear, but basically he was reselling it, you know, ransomware as a service up to 800 bucks a month. He actually had great reviews. Um, so great support. So I guess that whole doctor bedside manner applies well <laughs> to cybercrime. I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, it's just kind of interesting, you know, that, um, you know, pretty much anybody can be involved in these types of things, right? It's not just these um, you know, people you have this perception of, of sitting in a dark basement and wearing the black hoodies, right? I mean, it could literally be like your, your neighbor next door, in this case, like your doctor, like could be a lawyer for all we know, right? So, um, yeah, can you hold the scalpel? I need to respond yeah. and provide good customer service over here really fast. Yeah, like, oh, they're asking for my 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 Bitcoin wallet. Hold on, you know, type of a thing. So it was, uh, the story well, kind of just cracks me up. If your customer base is on the other side of the world and the claim was that he's in Latin America and the customers were right. largely in the Middle East, uh, I guess that enables moonlighting. Yeah, time time zone differences probably work out, you know, so 
Uh, but basically, you know, the FBI is involved. You know, they're basically tracked down through uh, PayPal accounts and a few other things. Uh, but it's just interesting that, you know, here we are still with, you know, ransomware as a service being just super relevant, um, super easy to operate in some of that regard, right? I mean, like it literally is run like a business, you know, so um, customer support, renting it back out, allowing tuning, tweaking of the tooling, um, you know, potentially profit sharing like we've seen. So just kind of goes to note and kind of be top of mind that uh, ransomware is not going away, right? And cybercrime isn't going away. In fact, it's just ramping up in general, so. Well, what I find interesting Agreed. about this too is some of the best developers I've ever met don't even have a degree in computer science. They oh, have degrees down. in English or they have degrees in accounting and different things and they self-taught themselves how to program and code. So that's what I, I kind of find unique in this type of model right here is that he was trained on something completely different and then you well, picked up this skill on the side. Yeah, I mean, if you, if, if you kind of take that point, and like we talk about this all the time, like with just, you know, our, our engineers and people we talk to and hire, like if you have the ability to kind of go through medical school and like learn and understand like how the body works and, you know, like the, the actual rigor of going through it, you can go learn technology and things like that. I mean, like to your point, Brian, like some of the smartest people I've ever met, they didn't, they didn't go to a formal college. They don't go to a formal school. And it's just amazingly, you know, what, what, what they can learn from reading, watching, practicing things like that so to your point it's more of that kind of mindset than like learning it officially right so and also let's recognize that uh, a lot of things like ransomware and other flavors of malware are white labeled rebranded modified existing code there's a lot of open source tools out there that can be packaged to become malicious even if they weren't intentionally malicious previously or take an existing piece of malware uh, and then modify it for your own use. Uh, I don't know if that was the case with this particular perpetrator, alleged perpetrator. Um, perhaps it was entirely from scratch, but the point being that it's easier and easier to initiate a business like this than ever before, because you can use existing resources, leverage existing platforms, and find areas that are already trusted, whether it's trusted cloud providers, whether these are trusted file sharing providers, et cetera. He he could have had a could have had a whole Brennan operation targeting small uh, small doctors firms like you never know because he knows like hey a lot of these doctors and small firms they're they're just about growing their practice they probably don't take cybersecurity as much as possible um, so he you know potentially it could be uh, easy targets on his own peers too you know just uh, not trying to give cyber cyber crime advice here but you never know right you got to know your audience. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Awesome. All right, gentlemen. Well, I think uh, that kind of wraps up for today. Um, always good syncing up and kind of discussing these things. And I think I think an interesting kind of uh, note is, you know, we see a lot of the same basic things kind of coming up over and over again, just kind of continues to show how important the basics really are and in, in those kind of fundamental foundational things. So um, stay, stay cyber smart, stay cyber aware and protect yourselves out there. Shields right. up. See you guys. Absolutely. Yep. All right, Stay like and subscribe. See ya.